0: All right, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast, as you all know, because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation, could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood. But the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us, they're not always salespeople. I think there are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. Uh, I've been sharing their stories here so that we can all tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right. We sit here today. It's the end of 2020, a big year, a momentous historic year. Um, we're closing out the year with this guest and another one. But this person um, is is a good like um, you know, full circle moment for me. Um, I talked to this person before I started my podcast. He He runs a podcast and I got a lot of, I told him before this, I've stolen a lot of things from him for my podcast. And we'll talk about that. But This guy is the CEO of a company called Employee Cycle. He's an awesome HR tech entrepreneur. His company is dedicated to helping organizations leverage HR data to make data informed and data-driven business decisions. Uh, He's uh, had all sorts of roles in HR tech. He's been a VP of business development. And more importantly, this dude just is is, is super um, willing to give people his time, even though, uh, you know, he's spread super thin. And I'm just so excited to welcome none other than Bruce Marable to the podcast. <laughs> Woo! Welcome, Bruce. Woo, let's go. <laughs> um, Thank you so
1: much for having me here. And I know it's taking much longer than anticipated, but I'm glad to be here today and I'm glad to be ending the year on such a high note by being on your awesome podcast. So I really appreciate the invite.
0: It is, it is. Um, you know, so we've we've done one thing, like people are all excited. I don't, I need, you know, I, I'm very low tech here. I don't have sound effects, but when we edit this, people will have heard a... Uh, a drum roll, you know, because um, those of you that will listen to the, he also is the host of the Employee Cycle podcast. Um, so uh, an awesome, awesome podcast that really takes so many awesome perspectives in the world of HR. Um, so when you listen to his podcast, he does a uh, an awesome kind of uh, celebration for each guest, uh, <laughs> and, and he he really uh, inspired me to hype each guest. So when you listen, it's it's because of this guy I'm talking to right now. So. Uh, steal things from people you respect and, and uh, appreciate. And that's one that I, that I got from Bruce along with many others. Um, So I'm so excited to talk to, I'm always excited to talk to entrepreneurs. So um, for all of you listening, you know, that I, I, you know, throughout 30 some episodes, we've talked to salespeople. We've talked to people that you wouldn't think are in sales, people like nurses and people like magicians and, um, Hmm. you know, and, 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 HR people and, um, coaches and all sorts of things. And I've, I've had a couple entrepreneurs or CEOs on, and and they're really interesting to me because those are, um, you know, sometimes people, they don't realize, they don't maybe consider themselves in it because they get it into it because of their passion. Um, but they're doing things every single day, maybe more than even most salespeople do to influence change, um, with people, their clients, uh, their, their customers. Um, so Bruce, this is uh, a question I've been dying to ask you because uh, I always think about great first questions and really drawing people in uh, to the people that I'm talking to and I got uh, this from you. So I wanna turn it around on you. This is a question that you ask all your guests and it is, how did you tell us how you ended up in the wonderful world of HR? And so Bruce Mirable, how did you tell us? How did you end up in the in the world of HR? Wow. That is a full circle moment. Uh, This is interesting. I don't (laughs)
1: think anyone has ever asked me this question before. So I ended up in the wonderful world of HR in a very interesting way, as most people will say how they ended up in HR. And that was really by creating a tech company called GatherDocs, which was and still is an applicant tracking system. And so about 2013, maybe early 2014, we were running a web design business, me and two co-founders. And throughout the entire duration of the company, we were always looking to figure out how we can go from an eat what you kill business, and that's how I look at consulting firms, to a highly scalable, fast growing, and most importantly, product that could create monthly recurring revenue. And so we looked all across the market, we looked at what our web design and app development clients needed, and where were the gaps, and one thing led to another, we ended up building an applicant tracking system. After realizing that the world was very saturated and uber crowded, you know, we ended up merging into another HR tech company, but the origin story of how I ended up in HR really started off with us building an applicant tracking system called GatherDocs, specifically focused on the high volume, high turnover hourly space, which included retail, restaurants, hospitality, franchise, etc. Basically, all of the businesses that are closed today because of COVID. Back (laughs) then, those were all the industries that we focused on. That's that's awesome.
0: Yeah, you know, like, it's so interesting. People, uh, I love people's origin stories like you, you too, um, because people get into their professions for all sorts of reasons. And people are all of a sudden, they're like, huh, I'm here. I'm in HR. I'm in sales. And, and right. you don't really right. take the time to sit back and look at it. Um Maybe to dig a little deeper on that, um, you know, I, I think you're also passionate about like you started this podcast, you're just passionate about like just what HR leaders are doing, like what they're thinking about. Um, because like, the topics. I mean, you get people talking about employee engagement and performance management and how are they, um, how is HR changing with it, with, with a, a pandemic? How do you manage a remote workforce and all these interesting topics? Is there something you can point to, you know, early on that, um, maybe, um, made you think that like you, you're, you know, you really care about the workforce, um, that you, you, you like to look at the workforce differently because maybe the applicant tracking was just kind of a vehicle to express kind of what that might've been. Was there anything about like um, your, your career that made you think you were kind of passionate about work?
1: So part of it had to do with the focus and the appreciation on work and the workforce. But for me, it really stemmed from the empathy of the HR and people operations role. Having built, excuse me, and merged this HR tech company into a larger HR tech company and really having the opportunity to work with a bunch of different HR leaders. And I know some people view HR as part HR, part talent, part recruiters, but I had the good fortune of speaking with a lot of HR leaders across all the types of HR roles you could imagine. And from there, I was able to generate a lot of empathy for the role because I realized that HR for the longest time wasn't looked at as being strategic, wasn't looked at as being data-driven. And unfortunately, HR for a long time has been looked at as a cost center. And so I always thought that if you could empower and arm HR to do whatever they needed to do and have the skills to be able to transform their perception from a call center to a people success center, then that would be freaking awesome. And through my background of doing data-driven work back in the you know, marketing and advertising world and understanding that data drives everything now in that the more data you have, the better decisions you can make, the more leverage you have, the better buy-in, it gets budgets quicker, you're seeing a strategic, and for a while, it was all about HR getting that seat at the table. That may seem like a super dated and you know antiquated cliche at this point, but it still exists. It may be called something different, maybe called let's be strategic or let's align HR to the business impact. But at the end of the day, it's about HR having a voice. And a lot of the times it's not about who can scream the loudest, it's who can show the best data. And yeah. so that was one of the things that I realized that... You give HR data because one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that it's not that HR isn't data driven; it's that most HR leaders lack the professional experience to, for, in areas around you know data aggregation, data analysis, data visualization. And so, for us with Employee Cycle, it was all about automating their process so that HR can now have the insights that they need to really make better workforces. And the podcast, to your point, has been a great way. And honestly, it's been a cheat for me to be able to understand in the most deepest way what's going on in the mind of HR. Because the last thing we want to do is be one of those HR tech companies that HR leaders are always complaining about saying, we know an HR person didn't build this because this is terrible. (laughs) Or no <laughs> HR person would have built this yeah. in this way because this is yeah. not how HR people operate. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's my personal cheat sheet to be as connected to HR leaders as possible, regardless of how fast or how large we grow. The podcast is that man of the people opportunity <laughs> for me. So I've become the man of HR and I get to speak to all HR leaders all across the country and even the world on our podcast to just understand what's going on with their mind. It makes me a better leader and a CEO makes us a better company and ultimately allows us to build a better product.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. You know, I just heard so much about like, you're just, um, you know, you're really, really interested to just fully understand people. You know, I think we sometimes make a lot of assumptions or, you know, we think we know people, but You probably learned a lot of things on your podcast, I imagine, that you came into it thinking you knew. And then you um, asked a question, and a person revealed something to you that you hadn't considered. Does that ever happen? Well, it happens all the time.
1: It happens (laughs) all the time. I go into every podcast thinking, I'm gonna learn something. This is going to debunk a myth that I probably subscribe to that's totally wrong or I have a false impression or perception about this one thing in HR. And I'm excited and can't wait for this person to tell me what it really is. Now I know it's always sample size of one of one, but I found that most HR leaders actually experience the same types of things. It may differ slightly by industry or headcount size or geography, but for the most part, HR is HR. So I'm constantly learning new things from people and it's awesome. Plus, you know, I'm, I've been told that I'm a nosy bastard and so <laughs> I genuinely, it, it's my personality <laughs> to ask too many damn questions. People know like, oh, I'm not gonna tell Bruce this because he's gonna ask me too Uh-oh. many questions. <laughs> he's, gonna
0: <ask> me, <laughs> he's
1: gonna ask me too many questions. And so now I've been able to put those questions to use in a positive and constructive way. And I I like to know, I'm a very curious guy. And so I'll ask a bunch of questions to the point where people will say, Bruce, all right, that's enough. I don't feel like talking about this anymore. But now I actually get to do something and put all those questions to use where people say, oh yeah, hey, ask me more questions. Ask me more questions, great.
0: (laughs) It's awesome. I love love, uh, that that term, nosy bastard. Do you, in your personal life, like, have you, And just kind of with your friends, like, um, you know, people that are close to you, like, um, you know, some people may think that, man, I don't want to seem like I'm interrogating people. And like, maybe (laughs) if I'm like asking so many damn questions, they're going to think like, who are you like, like, chill out, like, you know, you know, so like, it's like, it's like, they're thinking about balancing it, you know, so like, is there anything that like, you've learned by like, you know, asking questions in a way, like, you know, digging hot deep enough to like really get to the heart of an issue with people, whether it's your like just like maybe just who you are, maybe it's your friends. These aren't by the way, like everybody you talk to on your podcast, you're not doing business with them, you know, like no, no, this, this isn't like discovery calls. These are just awesome conversations. They could yeah. they potentially could be clients, you know. I, yeah. I imagine, but um, I think like you said, you're just doing it because you just genuinely want to get into their heart and mind and but then how do you balance that like without coming across as like yeah like you said no nosy you know so on
1: on the podcast it's easy because they they know what they're signing up for okay i'm joining this call or this interview and by default an interview is one person typically sitting across from another person asking them a bunch of questions to get to some type of conclusion or a better understanding of what they do how they think what's going on with them and so that's totally acceptable and unless you cross the line where something becomes too touchy or offensive then most people will answer as many questions as you ask on the flip side in your personal life it doesn't matter if it's offensive it doesn't matter if it's touchy people are just protective of who they are. And so once you add, start asking too many questions, even take a form. If there's a form that you need to fill out and you ask a question and it doesn't make sense, you're thinking, damn, why do you need to know my age? Why do you need to know all that? Why do you know where I live? I'm just, <laughs> I'm signing up for a free, <laughs> I'm just putting in my a, email. I'm just getting right. a dental
0: exam here, come right, on. Right, wait.
1: you're giving me a free sample of Red Bull and then you wanna know <laughs> how old I am? Why do you care? <laughs> Why is that relevant to you? Now that's too much. So from our personal standpoint, we have these walls, we're so gated. Hmm. And with living in a world where people are stealing your information, I think that makes us even more gated. And so our information, we hold that near and dear. We feel that close to the vest. And so depending on who I'm talking to, I won't have a filter for my questions. I'll have a filter from an offensive or a touchy standpoint, and I'll navigate through that. But from a quantity standpoint, I won't give a damn. I would just ask the questions, if I'm close to you, because you already know my personality. Mm-hmm. If I just met you, let's just say we're at a, I don't mm-hmm. know, call it a dinner party or yeah. some type of random event. If, if it's a more personal setting, then I'll try to weave and strategically navigate my question so the person says, "Man, you asked you ask some good questions." And when when a person says you ask good questions, that simultaneously means you ask good questions, but you also are asking a lot of questions. But because I think they're good, <laughs> and I um, think they're interesting, and most people don't ask me that, I'm going to continue to answer. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <that> <laughs> and, and,
1: and I'm okay. And I'm okay with teetering that line. I'm yeah.
0: Totally yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, kind of just think about the the, the questions and and just reading the person, right? Like some people yeah. are just ultra guarded and that's okay. And maybe, you know, don't like follow up your question with five more for those people, but the people that are kind of like talking to you, you kind of get a feel for, for going in for more. You know, I could, I, yeah. I, I love just asking questions. Um, before I talk about how you sell in your professional life, I'd like to focus on you know, kind of like the podcast, because I think um, one of the things that really, really interested me was how you think about, like how you think about what uh, HR people uh, are going through in their day to day. I think you're really strategic about how you structure your podcast and the questions and how you frame it to attract listeners to want to listen in a very simplified way. And so they kind of know what they're getting into. You, you used an analogy when I first started talking to you and getting advice about starting this, like how you like to think about interviews. Um, and you, you used an, uh, uh analogy of like when Oprah interviews someone or watch, you know, like when, uh, I don't know, Jimmy Fallon, they, yep. they're, 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 you know, they see three people and, you know, one person's really known and two are maybe lesser known. And like, you're, you're, you're trying to kind of, um, you know, think about It's just I think they really think deeply about like everything, how this interview is going to go, you know, to make it comfortable for the guest and also for the the listeners. So can you talk a little bit about like how you think about structuring your podcast interviews to attract listeners and and get the best out of your guests?
1: Um, Yeah, for sure. So the podcast always starts with me giving an intro about our product as a teaser just to let people know who we, who we are and what we do. Right after, as you previously mentioned, we do a very big welcome with a laugh track and me being obnoxious, <laughs> saying woo and yay and clapping and doing a whole bunch of other stuff and really making this person feel welcome because most of the people that I'm interviewing have never been on a podcast. And so they're nervous. And the last thing that you tell somebody who's nervous is don't be nervous because that only makes them more nervous. Mm -hmm. So I found that the equivalent of the of the action that you want to get from telling someone don't be nervous is just break them in all the way in by just being obnoxious and just getting them into the point where they're coming into the podcast laughing saying, oh my gosh, thank you, Bruce. This was so much. This is, oh yeah, this is great. And I wasn't yeah. expecting that, especially if they've never heard the podcast before. Right after that, you're in this place where you're laughing, potentially smiling. You're feeling good, positive. You've already had a quick win. And so for me, it's about the quick win. Something has happened in a positive fashion, in a good way. This is already starting off great. And so hopefully the entire podcast will continue to follow that format. Right after that, I then want to ask the question, which you flipped on me today, which is how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? That question uh, is not about why did you work in HR? Because you could be a consultant. You could be a professor. you, uh, You could be HR adjacent. Doesn't matter. How did you end up in this ecosystem doing work with as around HR? And then from there, we go into the topic. But one of the things that I like to do is make sure that if an acronym is ever used or some hoity-toity jargon that's only used in the industry, and sometimes I might not even know it or or it might go over my head and I don't even catch it, but I believe I, I do a good job most of the time. So if you use something like OKRs, right? a lot of people know what OKRs are, but a lot of people don't. So I'll say, hey, I know you're using the, especially if the topic isn't about OKRs, then you're using this term. I'll say, hey, just to make sure you're talking about objectives and key results. Can you just give a quick 30-second blurb about what OKRs are? Because I don't want the audience to listen. And then they won't get your next point because they don't even know what OKRs are. Mm. So now they're just totally lost. So we make sure that if you're talking about any complex terms, industry jargon, acronyms, that they're broken down in real time or as quickly as I can get you to do that. And then what I like to do is frame the podcast as a action plan or a potential framework for the guest to be able to perform some type of action at the end. So one of the things that I'll consistently say throughout many of the podcasts is, hey, why don't we break this down into a one, two, three step? And so let's just say if the topic was how to how to increase employee engagement with remote work. Then the first thing I said, let's define employee engagement and then let's define remote work. That's how we'll start it off. because what does engagement mean to you? Engagement can mean a whole bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. It's a very ubiquitous term. Then I'll say, when you say remote work, are you talking about 100% remote work? Or are you talking about hybrid where some people can go into the office but not? Are you talking about remote work where you actually have a core office and a headquarter, but then you have remote satellites? What are we talking about here? So again, making sure that people truly understand what we're talking about so that it's apples to apples. And then after that, then we'll say, okay, now that we've defined what we're talking about and we have some context around this, now let's actually go into what does a plan look like? And so step one, how do I start? What does that look like? Because most people can't even create or execute on anything because they're either afraid to, they're intimidated by, they're anxious, they're stressed, or they just don't know how to start. Once you get them started, then we can go into the other steps. So we'll say, all right, step one is to actually start. How do you start? Do you get buy-in? Do you get budget? Do you put together a strategy? Do you pull together a small group of people to think about this thing? What does that look like? And then based off of their questions, then now we're playing volleyball. And you ask a question, and then I ask, I ask you another question. Do you answer a question? Then I ask you another question based off of that. The second thing is, okay, now that we've figured out how to start, how do we actually implement whatever this thing is? how much am I spending? How much could I spend? What kind of resources do I need? How many people should be available or a part of this? Is this something that we do internal or do we outsource it? What are the pros and cons of that? Really figuring out what does implementation look like? How long does it take? What's the cadence? All these things. Um, And then the last part is really, how do we measure it? Because we want to make sure that anything that we are a part of in regards to telling HR that they should be doing, whether it's us or a podcast guest, we want to get it to a measurement standpoint. And that's also tied directly to our product too, because we're all about making HR leaders more data driven. And so the last ROI part is really about why are you doing this? And how are you tying this to the impact of the business? And who are you reporting this information to? And what types of results could you and should you be expecting? And then a whole bunch of other things around around that as well. And then we'll wrap. So hopefully from every podcast, you'll get, how do I start this thing? How do I implement it? What's the ROI? And then if we have time, I try to go into pitfalls too. So when most people are doing this type of thing and when you were doing this type of thing, what 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 areas, went sideways? Or what took you longer than expected? Or what cost you more than you thought it was going to? Or which parts didn't resonate with your CEO? And how did you navigate through that to be able to get the buy-in from that or the support that you needed? Or what areas did you do this where it totally fell flat and employees didn't resonate with
0: it? Um, And then we go from there. That's awesome. You know, I just, like, I, I have to say, I mean, it's, you you go through such a methodical approach um to what you just did with that interview. It's that 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 is such a like a huge skill of sales is just to kind of methodically go through and really fully like bring people back and confirm and understand what we're talking about here. And yeah. and how 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 can get them to speak in their own words, their experience, because I think so often like people struggle with, and I have too, like, I think all sellers have, just getting so like too high level, you know, with questions, you know, and, 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 or we're or, or asking all your questions at front, you know, up front, and not leading people to a destination methodically. Yeah, and it's I a journey. It's so key, you know, what you yeah, just yeah. did, yeah. It's definitely a journey. Yeah. Well, let's kind of transition to what you do in your business life. So you run a company, um, you know, to to help uh, HR leaders make you know data-driven uh, decisions. And I loved like just looking at your Twitter page. You had a post, um, something just a numbers play. So for just a tip, you know, just you want to really make a huge impact, like pull a, a crazy statistic about your your buyers. He says like you know, 83% of HR leaders want to make uh, data-backed decisions, but why do only 37% do, you know, and like, that's it, like, boom. Um, But tell me, like, how do you look at what you do as an entrepreneur? What, what, where do, as an entrepreneur, um, where do you notice yourself having to call upon your sales abilities, um, you know, in in the work that you do? And, And what does that look like for you?
1: Sales is in every single thing that I do. So when I think of the role CEO, I think of two different roles. I think one, chief everything officer. <laughs> and then the other role, I think, you know, glorified salesperson. Because that's true. When you're a CEO, that's all you're doing. You are selling. Selling to people to be on your team. Because if you really want A players, those people can work anywhere for anyone or for themselves. And so why should they not work at the best tech company or the best company that has the best tech or the best company that needs tech to, to be there? If you're talking about engineers or salespeople, why wouldn't they work at a company where they can get paid three times as much, three times the amount in comp, and then also get a huge bonus? And you know, pre-COVID and maybe post-COVID fly all around the world when the company's done. You know, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you do that? So selling team and talent on your vision and why your vision is so awesome, and why this will be such a fun journey, and why they should take their time and their talents and their energy and put it towards the vision that you set in place. Why is that even worth it? So you're selling team. But then, And that's, that's new team. But then existing team, you're constantly selling your existing team on why should they stay and why is the work that they're doing important and how is the work that they're doing connected to the bigger picture. And then you're selling to customers, which is the most obvious, but you're selling to all different types of customers on why your product should is something that they should be paying for why it's something that they might have to replace the budget from something else, so that they're going to get less of something else to use your product, then you're selling strategic partners. And for us, there's two different types. So there's integration partners. Why should they spend the time to want to understand why should they integrate with us? Why should their customers also need our product in addition to theirs? How do we provide value to their customers so that their product plus our product is one plus one equals 10. Why does that make sense? Then we're also selling to HR consultants who now want to use our product to be able to help their clients become more data driven. So out of all the tools and solutions that they can resell and refer to their end user, why employee cycle? Why is data important? Why does it help them provide more data-driven insights to their clients? And why is that even important in the first place? Mm -hmm. Selling to investors about why should they invest in this vision? They can invest in anything. They can invest in the stock market. If they're an angel investor, if they're a VC, they can invest in a ton of different startups. Why is this one of the only bets that they're going to make every year? And why are we worth the time? Why do we have the team? Why do we have the vision? I mean, it's... It's sales all day long, nonstop. Even even vendors sometimes, it's why should we sell them on giving us a product at a cheaper price? Because they believe that we're gonna be a, a larger company in the long run. So why should accounting firms or law firms or other service providers provide us startup pricing or a discounted price or, or deferred compensation or whatever it is so that we can grow as a larger company and it's better for them to get in at the ground level. So literally every day it's constantly sales. Selling people on why they should be on the podcast. Yeah, it could be on any podcast. Right, they could be on any podcast. Yeah, Why should they waste their time talking to me being, um, <laughs> being obnoxious for a half an hour? Why is that even worth their time? You know, why is it worth the time for them to even get signed off from their communications and PR team sometime to be on our podcast? Because that happens for about, you know, three to 5% of all podcast guests that don't want our show. They have to get approval. Why should they even go through the time to write an email? Why is this going to be worth their time and experience? So I'm selling all day, every day, nonstop, selling advisors on why they should advise us. And why should they not be spending time with other startups or their own business, but instead giving us advice and opening up their network and you know, lending their talent and time to us so that we can become a better company. And so for me, my whole day is sales.
0: A lot of situations there. I'd like to to, to see if you could think about like a thread that connects all those things. You know, like, um, you know, you've had some awesome guests on your podcast, like mm-hmm. chief hard officer at VaynerMedia, Claude Silver and yeah. you know, people at big companies. What is that like, could... I want to ask you two questions, um, and you know, pick how you want to answer these. But why are you convinced that the world needs employee cycle? You know, I'll put you kind of on the spot. You can think through it. I just love hearing entrepreneurs talk about their vision because yeah. yeah.
1: I can hear,
0: it. I can, I can see, I can see it very high level. But you know, for me, I, I, I love to hear you verbalize it. And then two, just what are the threads? Do you, you know, you think that connect all that for you? And and, and when you say like, why people should do all these things? Like, you know, what are, what are the messages that you think resonate the most for people to wanna to get on the podcast, to wanna to invest money, to want to work there, to stay? You know, what, what do you think that they see in you and, and, and the company uh, to, uh, to do those things? So
1: I believe, and I hope that the common thread is that, one, they see that we're doing something unique. The product's unique, the company vision is unique, the podcast is unique most hr podcasts are very stale they are talking about benefits and policies and procedures and then they come on our show and it's like and they feel like they're on Jimmy Kimmel right they they feel like they're on some entertainment show but it's still just as meaningful and just as important as you know the other hr podcast but really the thread that i see in regards to showing the value is that one it's unique but it's also valuable and that combination of being unique but being valuable and and having demand for it really all comes together because if we were just unique and valuable but there was no demand then it would just be some nice pretty shiny thing that you know was cool is interesting but who cares and if we just had you know demand and we're not new then we would just be in a crowded space but being in that, you know, triangulating around, being unique, being valuable, and then also having demand really puts us in an interesting place because then we can go in front of all of the different stakeholders that I previously mentioned and say we have this thing that's really interesting and we're bringing new value to the world, and then we also have demand for it. So when we're selling, we're really looking at how, and and the surface stuff is that we automate the HR reporting and analytics process. And we do that by integrating to all your HR systems so that we pull all your data into one unified people dashboard so that you can view, track, share, and analyze all your people data in one place. That's on the surface. What we're really doing, and what I mentioned before, is transforming the value of HR from as far away from being perceived and actually being a call center to really being a people success center. So what does that mean? As you mentioned, you saw that 87% of HR leaders say that they want to have data-driven decisions, yet only 37% only use data to make decisions. And what that has showed us is that, you know, another statistic is that when it comes to most HR leaders, 90% of their time when it comes to reporting is actually building messy, crappy reports and less than 10% of their time is actually spent on getting the data. In understanding the insights. Hmm. And so what we're doing is flipping it on its head so that you're hmm. almost spending 0% of your time pulling together the data, visualizing it, compiling it, and almost 100% of your time understanding the data. And hmm. here's why. CEOs and companies say people are their greatest asset. They always have been saying that for a while, but employees, that's the area where CEOs typically know the least about. If you were to ask a CEO a thousand questions, literally a thousand questions about their customers, they probably would answer 950 of them without even looking at anything. How many customers do they have? They might, they probably will know that or be very close. Which industries are they in as a percentage of their total customer base? You know, what is their annual contract value? How much are customers paying on average? What is your customer growth rate? What are your revenue targets? Yeah. All of that stuff. CEO, polished knows yeah. it, answer it very quickly. You ask a CEO, how many employees do you have? Don't know. Ask a CEO, what is their turnover rate? Don't know. Ask a CEO, what is their diversity mix? Don't know. And so you say that people are your greatest asset, but you know the least about your greatest asset. You can't have both of those things be true at the same time. It just, it just, doesn't, it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. And so if people are going to be your greatest asset, you need to know the most about your people. And you need to have the most data about your people, not to be this big brother to look over people and use data to spy on them. control your workforce but really to understand where the areas of opportunity to optimize so that as we tell our customers we're giving you the opportunity to proactively identify small workforce issues before they become large workforce problems Mm. and that's really the core of it Mm. identify small issues before they become large workforce problems the analogy that we give is if you have a small fire in the kitchen and, you know, you left the stove on too long. Well, then you go get the fire extinguisher and you put it out. But if the whole kitchen is on fire and now the living room and dining room is on fire and you're trying to save the house, you probably won't be able to.
0: Yeah, fire extinguisher is not going to be enough. I like that analogy. Man, Bruce, um, you know, let me, uh, you know, I could talk to you a long time, like just to take your advice on you know, leaving people with some actionable info. Like this is for people listening that are some are salespeople trained and they've been into it for a while, others, they're not, they're just like kind of looking for some, you know, like just perspectives on, you know, why, how people are doing this in in their day-to-days and what they could be doing. So what are some, you know, actionable things that you can give to both the the, the non-sales person and maybe the sales person that, you know, might help them, you know, just kind of really connect deeper with people and maybe get them to tell you things that you didn't really realize um, before.
1: Sure. And I'll reference a book called Gap Selling by a guy named Keenan. It's one of my favorite sales books, and not just from a sales perspective, but really about understanding human psychology and human desires and motivations. And basically what this book has taught me, and it's been working really well, is that Instead of trying to just sell somebody on something and say, hey, here's this thing, this is how it works, and you should buy, or even the you know the benefits and features and selling those two, I mean, that works as well. But what gap selling really focuses on is this framework of understanding the gap between where are people today and what is the desired place that they want to be. And so if we use, you know, travel, it would be, you know, where are you today? I'm in Philadelphia. And then it's, okay, well, where do you want to get to? Maybe if I say D.C., then that doesn't mean I necessarily need a plane. That's a very short distance. That could be a bus, that could be a car, probably won't be a bike because it's too far. But if I'm in Philly and the gap is that I want to be in Miami, then I'm probably going to need a plane. And so that was a very basic elementary, you know, framework for that. But if you were to take this to software or to any type of place where you wanna help somebody get to a desired action, you really wanna understand where are they today? What are they doing today? And what are all the problems that they have today? Where do they wanna to get to tomorrow? And then if you use your product, service, skill set, whatever it is, to then actually show them how do you get to where they're gonna to get tomorrow. And you only focus on the things that they wanna to get to tomorrow. So if your product or service does a thousand things and they only say that they care about five things, you don't tell them the thousand things. You just focus on those five things and how you're the best person, service, product, company, you know, solution offering, To get them to that desired place to solve those five things, and so this gap selling framework for me has been super helpful.
0: Yeah, I, you know, we're we're hoping to get, um, you know, both Keenan and, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that uh, that are there that we might have on, and um, I agree, it's one of been my all time favorites. I love, love, love just the. you know, analogy between um, we all have the current state, future state, and and the gap. Yeah, right? and sales yeah. is just all about that space in between. About not assuming that we know what it is, or telling people that they we know what it is, but having people realize it on their own through yep. your line of questioning. And that's like yep. some of the pow- most powerful things from, from that book. Absolutely. Um, Bruce, thank you so much. I, I kind of want to end off on, on something a little bit fun. This is a fun question because it's all about, I just think we all have are such unique experiences and um, in selling and just who we are as people. And I think um, okay. like uh, a lot of people just don't take the time to get to know that you, you use the word, like how are we unique, valuable, and is there demand? So I don't know if this is a demand thing, but maybe this could. Tr- this question could tra- <laughs> tri- triangulate all three of those, but it's a fun question. And it is just this, it's just about you as a, as a person. And it's fun. It's just, what is something that could only and would only happen to Bruce Marrable. And um, another way to think of it is like your friends might say, or your parents or whoever might say, man, that thing, and that one thing is totally Bruce. That is just who that 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 that's just something that I think is just so so him.
1: Running into someone and then ending up hanging out with them on the spot.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. So if I'm leaving my office, I could see somebody at five thirty that I haven't seen in a month, and then we might just end up at happy hour. <laughs> No plans, no schedule, just living in the moment. That's awesome.
0: Uh, I one time did something similar. I saw a friend I hadn't seen in like five or six years at a, I was uh, traveling to Philly. I've lived in Philly, you know, for 10 years. I saw a friend at a bar in Old City and he's like, man, are you going to the, uh, the Pantera show later? And I'm like, no. He's like, now you are? I'm like, for real? <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's do this. And I'm not a Pantera uh, fan whatsoever, but it was right. uh, interesting nonetheless. But um, all right. So Bruce, uh, man, such uh, great information. Where can people find you, connect with you? Um, what can people do to uh, see you along after this?
1: Sure. So you can find our company at employeecycle.com. You can find me on LinkedIn Bruce Marable, no M A R A B L E, and that's basically it. I mean, I, I'm not a social media person, and so it's very easy to find me where I am. I swim in I swim in one lane, and that one lane is typically LinkedIn. Uh,
0: <laughs> I like it. Make it easy. I, yeah,
1: yeah, I have a Facebook and Twitter profile, but uh,
0: I barely use it. Cool, man. Well, we'll definitely please connect with Bruce and take a look at Employee Cycle. I I highly endorse it. Bruce, thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on and just all your mentorship to get this show started and, and continue for hopefully a long time to come. Thank you so much, man.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. And I hope people continue to listen to your show. It's awesome.
0: Thanks a lot, Bruce.
1: All
0: right, later. Yeah. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly and tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right, see you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.